We're going to return to the Gospel of John this afternoon, and we're going to conclude the fourth chapter of John's Gospel. We will be covering verses 43 through 54, so I invite you to turn there. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54 is our text. And what I want to do is go ahead and read it in its entirety up front, and then we'll begin to work our way through the passage together. But starting in verse 43, John writes, After the two days, just as a reminder, two days spent in the town of Sychar in Samaria, after the two days, he, Jesus, departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, the last time we were in John's Gospel together, which was six weeks ago, we covered the second half of the account of Jesus' ministry at the well in Samaria. As you may recall, Jesus and his disciples had passed through Samaria in order to make their way back to Galilee after spending some time in Judea. They stopped for rest when they reached the well that was just outside the town of Sychar. Jesus sat down beside the well while his disciples went into the town to buy food. and, And it was at this time that a Samaritan woman came to the well. And Jesus graciously initiated a conversation with this woman, and in the course of that conversation, he offered her the gift of eternal life. He revealed to her that he knew all about her sin, and he called her to become a true worshiper of God. And at the end of that conversation, he revealed to her that he himself was the Messiah. And it was at that moment that the woman's eyes were open and she believed and she took off and went into the town and told the people about Jesus and urged them to go and see and judge for themselves if he is the Christ. 
Many of the townspeople believed her testimony. And they went out to invite Jesus to stay with them so they could hear what he had to say. And after two days, many more in the town believed. Why? Because of his word. They called him the Savior of the world because they came to understand that he had come to bring salvation not just to the Jews, but to Samaritans and Gentiles as well, and thus to the whole world. So there was a great awakening in this small town. Samaritans received Jesus as he truly is the Messiah of Israel. They received his teaching, and having heard the truth, they believed in him. Having heard the truth, having heard his word, they believed in him and received him as he is. That brings us to our passage, which begins with verse 43. We'll read the first three verses again, which set the stage for the next personal encounter with Jesus That John wants to recount for us. Verses 43 to 45. After the two days he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. Now notice that in verse 44. We have a parenthetical statement. Parentheses. It's set off. It would be better to translate the first word as now instead of for, as the NIV does in this case. So that the verse reads this way. Now, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. The word translated as hometown, while it can be used to refer to such a specific location, can also be used to more broadly refer to one's homeland or country or to one's own part of that country. And in this case, it's referring to the region of Galilee. Verse 44 is an anticipation of the lack of faith that Jesus will encounter among his people in Galilee. In contrast to the faith that we saw from the Samaritans, Jesus knew that this would be the case. He also knew that his own people, for the most part, would ultimately reject him. Which is what John reflected upon in the prologue at the beginning of his gospel. He wrote that Jesus came to that which was his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, when we read verse 45... It seems that the response to Jesus in Galilee was generally a positive one, doesn't it? Seems positive. John tells us that when Jesus got there, the the Galileans welcomed him. Does that conflict with Jesus testifying that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown or his own country? Not necessarily. He was given a warm welcome for sure. But that doesn't mean the people of Galilee were honoring him as a prophet. A prophet is one who's raised up by God to proclaim his will, deliver his message, speak his word. 
People who are truly honoring a prophet will, above all else, listen to him and receive the truth that he declares on behalf of God. Jesus, of course, as God in the flesh, the eternal Son who came down from heaven, was the ultimate prophet. He was the prophet, capital P. As it says in Hebrews, that word of exhortation to Jewish Christians, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. However, what John tells us in verse 45 is that the Galileans' warm welcome of Jesus was based upon what they had seen him do in Jerusalem at the feast. And what was it that they saw? What did they see at the feast? What did they see him do? They saw him perform miracles, miraculous signs. If you turn back to the end of chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, you'll see that John said this about that occasion. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now, believing in his name at first glance seems like a positive response. But then John clarified that it was untrustworthy belief because it was dependent upon the signs. In other words, seeing was believing for them. Seeing was believing. In light of this, John tells us that Jesus, knowing the shallowness of their faith, was not entrusting himself to them. Among these people were the Galileans who had also been there for the feast and were now welcoming Jesus at his return from Judea in our passage. So John tells us that when Jesus came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So consider the contrast between the response of the Galileans here in our passage and the response of the Samaritan townspeople of Sychar. Those Samaritans believed the testimony of an outcast woman who said, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Based on that alone, some believed. And they went to see for themselves in order to hear from him, to hear from him. They invited him to stay with them. And after hearing from him personally, they believed in him all the more. And many others in the town believed as well. John tells us in verses 41 to 42, and many more believed because of his word. Because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus performed no signs among these people. No miracles. And yet they believed his word. 
and received him as he truly is. Contrast that with the Galileans who saw him perform multiple miraculous signs in Jerusalem and yet believed in him only in a superficial sense. They may have recognized, like Nicodemus did, that he was a teacher sent and empowered by God. But they did not believe his word and receive him as the Christ, their Savior. They welcomed him as the miracle worker, but not as the Messiah. People can be very welcoming of Jesus. People can think very positively of Jesus. But that does not mean that they have received his word and come to believe in him and receive him as he truly is. It does not mean that they have truly repented and are trusting in him as the Son of God, who is their sovereign Lord and all-sufficient Savior. A positive response does not mean saving belief. A warmness to Christ does not mean one has been born from above. And starting in verse 46, John tells us of another personal one-on-one encounter Jesus had. While the previous one was with a Samaritan outcast, a, a woman of ill repute, this one was with a royal official, a man of high standing. We read in verses 46 and 47, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee... He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Turning water into wine at a wedding celebration in Cana was the first sign that Jesus performed, the very first one. He turned over a hundred gallons of water set aside for ceremonial washing into a well-aged, fine wine that could be enjoyed by all the guests for the duration of the days-long feast, the wedding celebration. He thus manifested his glory. However, he performed this sign, if you recall, when we were in that passage, he performed it discreetly because he had not yet made his ministry public. This, he did not long afterwards um, make his ministry public. He did it shortly afterwards when he was in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. There, Well, he he performed multiple signs, but in Galilee, he had only performed the one. And now, as John tells us in verse 46, he was back in the very town where he had performed it. Now, the town of Capernaum was a little over 20 miles away. And John tells us that in that town, there was an official whose son was ill. Now, the word translated as official is literally the adjective royal, royal. So this was more specifically a royal official. And since he resided in Galilee, he would have been serving under Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch who ruled over that region and had authority over that region delegated to him by Rome. John tells us that this man's son, who is referred to as being just a child in verse 49, was very sick and was at the point of death. 
The man's high position, no doubt, provided him with more influence and wealth and comfort than most. However, none of that could shield or deliver him and his loved ones from the harsh realities of life in a fallen world, which God is subjected to futility because of man's sin, and in which sickness and suffering and death are inevitable and can come upon any one of us at any moment. Whatever the connection, whatever connections and influence and resources the royal official had, an illness had brought his young boy to the brink of death and there was nothing he could do about it. All that so-called security, right? But nothing he could do. Then, what happened? He heard that Jesus of Nazareth, the one who had worked miracles in Jerusalem, healing miracles, no doubt, had just returned to Galilee and was at Cana. Given what John prefaced this account with in verse 45, it's likely that the royal official was among those who had seen the miracles Jesus did during the Passover feast in Jerusalem. Well, he wasted no time. And in his desperation, he made the day's journey to see Jesus and plead with him to come to Capernaum and heal his son. And then Jesus lovingly pointed out the problem of the inadequacy of the man's faith, which was also true of the Galileans in general. Verse 48, Jesus said to him, and by the way, the you here is plural. So this is a problem not just with the man, but with the people in general, the Galileans. Jesus said to him, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He stated the problem. If the man had seen the signs in Jerusalem, if he did, or at least knew of them, why had he not made the effort to seek after Jesus and to hear from him and to listen to his teaching? Why not? Did it take needing a miracle for him to come see Jesus? One commentator says this, Jesus knew that faith based only on seeing miraculous deeds is superficial and requires a succession of miracles to nourish it. Those who followed him because of miracles alone soon drifted away. So there's a problem, there's a real problem here. Jesus is calling attention to that problem. The man, nonetheless, persisted in pleading with Jesus to come to Capernaum and heal his son so he doesn't die. Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Then Jesus, out of compassion for both the man and the boy, granted the man's urgent request but not in a way that he expected. In verse 50, at the beginning of it, we read, Jesus said to him, because remember, what did, the, what did the man want? Him to come with him to Capernaum. Jesus says, go, your son will live. Literally, he says, your son lives. That is, he's been delivered from the illness. 
If the official truly had his way, then Jesus would be journeying back to Capernaum with him. And when they arrived, he probably assumed that Jesus would lay hands on his son and heal him. Instead, Jesus simply said to the man, go, your son lives. What did that require the man to do? It required him to believe and trust in the words of Jesus. This was a test to see if he would believe and trust that Jesus had the power to do what he said and that his word was sufficient. Jesus challenged the man to believe apart from seeing the sign performed so that he might move beyond the shallow faith that was dependent upon seeing signs and wonders. And what happened in that moment? John tells us the man believed. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. While the man was returning back home, empty-handed, so to speak, he was full of hope because he believed the word of Jesus. He wouldn't even be able to make it back to Capernaum to see his son and thus confirm the word of Jesus until the following day, given the time of day it was and how much time it would take to get back. It would have to be the next day that he would be able to get back into Capernaum to see and confirm. But he was continuing in faith, faith that rested in the word of Jesus. Now, given the situation, that faith may have been mixed with desperation, right? In other words, the man may have reflected on the fact that there were no other options for him at that point. He may have thought, take the man at his word. What do you have to lose? I mean, I mean you, have, you have nothing else except this promise, this statement your son lives. However, what may have started out as a faith fueled by desperation, what turned into a deep and abiding faith in Jesus, and we see that in verses 51 to 53. As he was going down, his servants met him. So this would be the, the following day. They met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The seventh hour was one in the afternoon. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Your son lives. And he himself believed and all his household. So when the, the royal officials' servants met him on the second day of his journey home and brought the good news concerning his son, he wanted to know when it was that his son began to recover. Did it happen sometime between him leaving Capernaum and meeting Jesus? Did it happen sometime during his journey back? When they said it was at the seventh hour the previous day, it blew him away. Because he recalled that it was precisely at that time that Jesus told him, your son lives. The word of Jesus is what gave his son life. The royal official had in his, 
in his own helplessness as a father who thought he was going to have to watch his child die, he sought Jesus and asked for a miracle, and Jesus had mercifully granted it to him in such a way that led him beyond the faith that is based on miracles. The man, no doubt, greatly rejoiced in the merciful, miraculous gift. But as we can see, in the conclusion in verse 53, he went on to worship the giver. He went on from the first step of believing the word of Jesus to truly believing in Jesus. And he led his entire household to true faith in Jesus as well. And we read in verse 54, John says, This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Although Jesus had performed multiple signs during the Passover feast in Jerusalem, this was the time and place in Jerusalem where he chose to initiate his public ministry. In Galilee, he had only performed two signs at this point. The first was before he went to Jerusalem for the festival, and the second was after he returned. Both of these signs he did while he was in Cana. Both of them were done discreetly. They were not a public spectacle. The result of the first was that his disciples believed in him, that is, their faith in him increased and was strengthened. And the result of the second was that the royal official and his household came to truly believe in him. That is, they, they went from inadequate faith that relied upon seeing miracles to genuine saving faith that rested in Jesus himself. So what about you? Does your faith in Jesus rely upon experiencing the supernatural or seeking it? Does it rely upon witnessing modern-day signs and wonders, so-called signs and wonders? Does it rely upon seeing some kind of movement of God in our community or culture? Such Such faith is unstable. It's inadequate. Saving faith in Jesus rests in the sufficiency of the testimony of Scripture concerning the person and work of Christ. Saving faith in Jesus rests in the truth that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him and receiving him as he truly is, your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life and the hope of everlasting joy and peace and prosperity and rest in his coming kingdom. Such faith is the result of being born from above and is the gift of God. So if you haven't truly placed your faith in Jesus, if you haven't gone beyond that superficial faith, if you haven't truly trusted him as the Son of God, well, when we read John's Gospel, why is it written? That you might believe. That you might believe in him today so that you might not perish but have eternal life. That you might turn to him and receive him as Lord and Savior so that your sins against God may be forgiven and so that you may have the hope of entering his glorious future kingdom. This is the reason why John tells us of these signs. Jesus did many more things, but these are written so that you might 
believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. and Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world and, and accomplishing the work of redemption, providing yourself, offering yourself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we might be forgiven through faith in you and receive the gift of eternal life from you. We ask that you would increase our faith. We ask that you would help us to see you always as you truly are, to not lose sight of the fact that you indeed are God, the Son through whom the whole world was made and for whom all things exist. May we live our lives and may we serve you in light of that knowledge of who you truly are. And we ask that if anyone in here, if anyone watching right now, or if anybody who at some point hears this message, Lord, we ask that it would be a means by which you would open their eyes to the truth concerning yourself and that they might repent and truly, truly see you as you are and receive you and trust in you and be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in a manner worthy of you, to not lose sight of, of the reality of your coming kingdom and the fact that you have called us out from darkness, you've given us life, so that we might with our remaining days on this earth, in this fallen world, before your return, that we might live for your glory, that we might proclaim your gospel, that we might be witnesses to the truth, that, that we would proclaim your word, that people would hear, and that they might believe as well. And we know that all you have appointed for eternal life will come to believe in you. We pray that we would be faithful instruments in your hands to proclaim that very word. It's in your name we pray. Amen.